this is uh, Kunal Patel. I'm a associate economist with the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. Thank you for joining the program here today. We're talking about some economics, some forecasting, and a survey, if you will. Uh, the reason, well, we've had you on the program before talking about just some outlook type of a scenario and just getting companies ready as they popular time into the year to get ready for the next year. So when I saw this news story come across that you guys took a survey with some operators and some other companies, uh, we thought we'd have Canal Patal on to talk about that and uh, hopefully it'll give you some information. So how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Jason. Thanks so much for having me again on your uh uh, having you on, having me on the show. You bet. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the uh, survey that was done. Kind of what was the intent? What was the uh, findings? And who was surveyed? Perfect. So uh, at the Dallas Fed, we have an energy survey. We survey roughly 200 upstream oil and gas firms that are headquartered in Texas, New Mexico, and Louisiana, which is the coverage region of the Dallas Fed. We have the survey to better understand business conditions and challenges that oil and gas firms face in our district as uh, oil and gas is a, uh, a big piece or a big factor in the Texas economy. Uh, so the survey has been running since 2016. Uh, again, 200 upstream oil and gas firms, both EMP and support services. Uh, the survey has a variety of indicators such as employment, activity, uh, and firms indicate whether their activity has increased, decreased, or had no change since the last quarter, um, and a positive index suggests expansion, a negative index suggests contraction. Uh, the key conclusion from this quarter survey um, is that the survey suggests conditions in the oil and gas sector deteriorated in the third quarter, with overall activity and employment declining modestly. Um, additionally, oilfield services firms were most affected uh, with a sharp drop in employment utilization and operating margins. Uh, I guess I can quickly go through three of the things I just talked about, which is activity, employment, and a little bit more on oilfield services. Uh, on the activity side, so our activity index came in slightly negative, um, and that suggests a contraction activity. Uh, but one thing to keep in mind uh, for everyone in the industry is that for 2017 and 2018, we did have activity levels increasing. So a contraction activity means that activity is currently at a high level, but it's slowing down a bit. Um, and a lot of the lower activity looks to be driven by a contraction in equipment utilization for, for services firms. So you've heard about less rigs out in the field, less frack spreads. Um, this may be what's showing up in the survey. Um, for employment, so employment came in negative for a second quarter in a row. Uh, that suggests a, a contraction or a reduction in employment. Uh, hours came in flat, so you know similar hours to the previous quarter. And uh, wages and benefits continue to come in positive, but the growth rate has definitely decelerated. Um, you've heard a lot about layoffs over the last couple of months. Um, this may be just showing up into these indexes. Uh, lastly, there's a lot of pressure on oilfield services firms. If you're out if you work for an oil field services firm, you know that equipment utilization has fallen over the last quarter. Uh, oil field services firm report rising cost, um, lower selling cost, um, and as costs are rising and selling costs are declining, it's leading to lower margins compared to the last quarter. Um, I guess our last key finding is that uncertainty remains high, um, and the outlook kind of remains unchanged from the previous quarter. Uh, last quarter, firms were pessimistic, and so can pretty much in some ways say that this quarter they still remain in some ways pessimistic. There's
there's just a lot of uncertainty out there, most, mostly around commodity prices. There's some regulatory cons- concern, and there just seems to be less access to credit. Um, and so those are like the main findings through the indexes um, from our latest survey. I, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's on our Dallas Fed website. Um, it's released every quarter. This is some really good information here. In fact, as I was writing my notes here, taking taking notes, bullet points, etc., um, this is a lot of what we've talked about on, on the Crude Life platform for the past year. A lot of these different uh, bullet points that you were just naming. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, about a couple of them more in, in depth here, but I think as we kind of go through the next question or two we'll get to them just organically uh the permian i have i've read reports that you know over the next 20 30 years 70 percent of the drilling activity is going to come out of the permian you know you've got all these other shale plays but the majority of it is going to come out of the permian whether the 70 percent number is true or not that's irrelevant that's a really high number to just just say that the permian is a very uh important <laughs> shale play for the energy activity right now in, in today's world. So did, did did you guys isolate the Permian? Was there anything that stood out with the Permian, uh, that sort of thing? I'm just wondering if I can get some comments on the Permian because it's such a large play and so many people rely on it for their income. And you're definitely correct. So the Permian Basin, as you know, uh, I mean, in 2018, the production growth from the Permian Basin as a percentage of the U.S., somewhere between it's 50 or 60 percent. So most of the production growth has come from the Permian Basin. Most of the horizontal rigs in the U.S. are in the Permian Basin, let's say about 55 percent, give or take 5 or 10 percent. We, specifically to the Permian, we did ask a special question. Um, As you know, uh, there's been some deceleration out out in the field, Um, and we were trying to figure out, you know, what is the main constraint limiting near-term growth and activity um, and we also asked operators and, and support services firms to say the top area in which they were active. So we were able to disaggregate the results. Um, across all regions, the reasons for the slower activity this year um, is that their primary picked, uh, reason was 42% said current oil and gas, current oil and natural gas prices are too low, uh, followed by limited access to capital and credit and investor pressure to generate free cash flow. Now, when you disaggregate the results in the Permian and outside the Permian, what you'll find is that outside the Permian, the low oil and natural gas price, along with the limited access to capital and credit, is more of a principal concern. But once you go into the Permian, uh, again, low oil and natural gas prices are a concern, but investor pressure to generate free cash flow is more of a concern than limited access to capital and credit. So that kind of suggests that that is kind of the more of the focal point for the Permian Basin, really getting to the point where they're able to generate more free cash flow um, to make investors happy. How about natural gas? That is such a very much of a wild. I remember Tony Clark, the former head of FERC, he called it the wild card three, four years ago. And as I watched the evolution of natural gas and I see the demands out there in Mexico and international interests, I, did you guys cover natural gas? Did, did even renewables bleed into the survey? Talk to me a little bit about the natural gas side of things and then whether there was anything on the renewable side. So for, for natural gas specifically, um, some, some of the key things to the natural gas, so going back on the previous question around what's limiting your near-term growth, 
the fourth big reason in the Permian Basin was actually lack of natural gas pipeline capacity. Um, and you've probably heard numerous reports of, again, WAHA prices trading around zero, $0 per MMBQ during the summer, going all the way down to negative 3 or $4. Now it's back up a little bit because there's a new uh, Kinder Morgan pipeline. But definitely, you know, the lack of capacity has kind of, it's been one of the hindrance to growth in the Permian. Uh, we do ask survey respondents what they think year-end prices will be for natural gas. Um, and it's their, their expectations are actually a little bit lower than what the price was when we ran the survey. So for year-end, survey participants think that natural gas prices will be $2.54 per MMBTU at year-end 2019. Uh, this compares to $2.67 during the survey period. So it keeps staying between this two and three dollar range, which we've seen over the past three to five years. Um, regarding renewables, there are some comments. So we 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 allow our survey respondents to uh, let us know a little bit more about the business conditions that they're facing. Um, if they allow us to publish it, we publish it on our Dallas Fed website. There are some comments around renewables. Um, it, it's definitely worth taking a look making your own interpretation. Um, there is always this battle, as you know, between oil and gas and renewables. Where should the money be going? What should be the focal point? Um, but there is a variety of views expressed I, I would recommend checking out because it's a little bit hard to kind of aggregate them into one specific. Well, I, I think one question to maybe ask is that there was not a question about renewables, but there was comments made. You have a just a, a place that people can put comments, that sort of thing. So you guys didn't specifically ask about the renewables, but there was enough comments about renewables to warrant um, discussion. <laughs> is, is that, is that, is that, did I, did I hear that right? That is correct. So we, um, the, uh, so always with the story, right? You had to come up with a, a good question to ask. And, and it's kind of hard to say exactly how would you ask that question on renewables? but they are allowed to voice their opinion on renewables. And so one of the concerns I've heard from business contacts, people out in the field, is regulatory environment. Many of you have heard about what, what is happening in Colorado. Another one that's seeping to is in, in New Mexico. Um, and so like there's a comment on, you know, that, uh, that uh, renewables only contribute to 5% of the general fund of New Mexico, but oil and gas gives 30%. Um, there's nothing that can take the place of oil and gas. Um, can the public give up cars, their cell phones, or their clothes? They're all made with oil and gas. However, there has been a lot of regulatory concern in New Mexico in terms of trying to limit the amount of, um, I guess, development of oil and gas and increase the development of renewables. Um, I am not... Off the top of my head, I'm not con uh, familiar with the exact targets, but I believe that New Mexico has some targets that they're looking to meet in terms of renewable growth in the state. Um, and so that's an example of one of the renewable comments. There, there are a variety of other ones. It, a lot of it is just the, it, it, it tends to be a little bit tense between the two. So this comment also wrote that protesters are so rude and ugly towards oil and gas, but yet they want our money. That's why I asked because uh, we've been following the you know the rise of the the environmentalism or the the change or the evolution or however it, it want to be phrased 
to where it's gotten very political, very polarizing to to where you're, you guys are getting it now at the Fed where you didn't even ask it in the survey and it's coming in. So my hunch was right. And so to me, the story is more that you guys didn't ask about renewables, but you got comments back on it. So that that to me just kind of is more of the, the, the state of things, if, if that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. And okay. a lot of the, at the Dallas City, we also uh, do roundtables in which um, business leaders in oil and gas, they come in, they voice their concerns. And again, renewables do come up. Um, one thing is that, as you know, oil and gas is, it's hard to replace. Um, and when it comes to fossil fuel use, renewables can only take up a specific portion, even over the next 10 or 20 years. Um, but it, it's definitely in some ways, I guess, a concern, which is why they've, they've voiced it. Um, it's just that the views are a wide variety. Um, so that's why it's definitely worth taking a look. It's, uh, we, we kind of, it, the, the, the comments also give us an idea of what they're thinking right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the, the New Mexico one is the one that's showing up a little bit more. Um, I haven't seen as much, uh, like they haven't said anything about Texas, right? But in Texas, I don't think we've had any regulatory push towards renewables, so that's why there hasn't been as many comments. But for example, for this New Mexico one, this is an example of um, a business leader voicing their view on renewables in the state of New Mexico. Well, I think it's fair to say that that's, I don't know how much of the percentage wants to get allocated, but I would imagine a big part of that uncertainty is coming from a lot of those comments too. People are uncertain about their future, uncertain, that sort of thing. And Uncertainty, that's one of those words that I've heard for the, since the downturn that uh, the energy industry really does not want to hear. They don't like that. Investors don't like that. Speculators don't like that. Um, and so that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Interesting. Anyway, I, I transitioning to uh, rig counts. I wanted to ask you about the, you know, the big million dollar question, the one that you know, everybody seems to follow rig counts. I think that's an archaic way to to track the energy industry but you know that's just my opinion I, I think there's other ways that that is a little bit more efficient but let's go with rig counts did you guys track rig counts did you ask on rig counts because you know the easy way of 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 saying it is that you know rig counts are down 20 percent, so that means the guys who uh, make you know dr- drill bits. Their business is down twenty percent. You know that's the very linear way of looking at things. How, how in depth did you guys get with rig counts? Was that part of the survey? We did ask a question around um, when survey participants, which are again executives from these two hundred or so firms, when they thought that the number of U.S. rigs drilling for oil to bottom out. Um, as you know, over the past year. Um, the rig count has been declining. Um, I can't say I know the number off the top of my head, but maybe it's um, in the hundreds. Uh, and so we asked uh, participants, you know, when do you think rig counts will eventually bottom out? Only 2% say that currently it's bottomed out. The most big answer was actually fourth quarter 2019 at 28%. But that leaves a lot of participants picking dates in 2020 and 2021. Uh, for first quarter 2020, uh, 20, let's see, 23% said first quarter 2020, followed by 20% in second quarter 2020, and the remainder, 26%, said any dates after that. Um, so there is a lot of uncertainty in when, you know, when will the shedding of, of, uh, of rigs actually stop? 
Now, you are correct that that the number of rigs is not completely indicative of the number of wells drilled and completed because operators have become more and more efficient. So one rig today versus one rig five years ago, we likely are drilling the well significantly faster. We're drilling a longer lateral. Um, This can have implications on consumables such as frac sand, um, uh, drill pipes, so on and so forth. Um, But this does have implications, I believe, on oil field services specifically, right? If you continue to shed uh, rig counts, uh, it makes the margin uh, environment more challenging. Um, I think there's just a lot of uncertainty out there on when uh, the rig counts will drop. Um, while most participants did pick Q4 2019, it was only 28%. So it could be sometime in 2020 when we finally see a drop, uh, or a bottoming out, sorry. Um, I guess what was a little bit more surprising was we did ask for year-end price expectations for WTI. Um, and this survey was uh, conducted uh, in a period that was some participants reported before the uh, attack in, in, in Saudi Arabia, and some reported after. Um, but the the average expectation for yen was $57. And so it could be that some of the uncertainty, again, is could be price-related. It could be um, credit-related. It could be an investor push for more free cash flow. Um, but it could also just be, you know, what will happen to activity in the future. I think oil and gas firms really like a stable environment so they can make longer-term decisions um, the challenge today is that um, there's just a lot of uncertainty out there. Second to last question um, has to do with innovation, and then I'll let you kind of uh, go with your own and wrap up as we uh, conclude here. But innovation uh, has to do with innovation. I don't know if your survey talked about innovation or if anybody brought back innovation. Um, we started doing interviews about three, four months ago with some different slices of the industry to find out if anybody was, you know, making money or treading water, et cetera. Because like I said, the very linear thought is, well, rigs are down 20%, so everybody's business is down 20%. And that's not always the case. So we found out that there's a couple of guys who are doing downhill or downhole video that, boy, in April, their business just took off. And then we've got some drone people that are seeing a spike in business. And they mentioned more of the proactive side of the producers as opposed to the reactive side, kind of like that educational curve kicked in, that learning learning curve, that, that educational period, if you will, uh, has finally taken hold on, on some areas. Did your survey get into innovation? Uh, did it get into any of those the, just things that I just talked about there? Not specifically. I think what you're really highlighting, uh, so the... the your, for your specific question, we did not specifically have a special question or a comment around that. I think what you're really highlighting is the focus on cost, especially on the uh, on the EMP side. Firms are really looking to control their costs. Many of these businesses that are innovative are helping with controlling cost for firms. Um, now, around opportunities, there were some comments. So, despite the fact that activity is slowing, there is a couple of comments around wages and benefits. One response, I believe it said something that wages and benefits are an all-time high and that competition is still high for skilled field service personnel and uh, specialized oilfield service workers, sorry, specialized oilfield uh, service drivers, I guess for the trucking of oil. 
Um, so there are opportunities out there, I guess, in terms of if you're an employee, the wages and benefits are still great. Um, but there wasn't a specific question around, I guess, innovation, because um, it, it sounds from what you're saying, Jason, a little bit more niche, but it, it seems to be more towards the real focus of controlling costs. You've seen a lot of public firms really talk about how they're going to meet their year-end budget this year, um, not go over. Um, and a lot of these services that you're talking about are mainly around, it seems to be controlling costs. That's interesting you say that because um, I want to ask you one more question before I let you summarize and uh, plug where we can find the information. Uh, a few, by a few, quite a few, people about six, eight months ago started talking about how they really overspent in the last year, and that was their biggest problem. You know, it wasn't a problem getting business, it wasn't a problem maintaining this and that, but they just overspent a little bit. You're talking about controlling costs. Did anybody mention the word overspent, or was it just pretty much controlling costs? So, uh, of the two, whether, you, whether it's controlling cost or overspent, so neither of those were actually responded, no one said that in the survey. This is more from uh, what you hear from public uh, conference calls. Sure. Um, there wasn't either that specifically mentioned. I know that in Q2, we did ask a special question. Um, I think in Q2, what had happened was prices had been quite volatile. So we were thinking, hey, have firms actually changed their budget for the year? Um, and what we found was that you know, the budget that, that they, they set in January of 2019, by the middle of the year, most respondents had not changed their budget at all. Um, it was a very bell-shaped type curve where most people were saying no change. Some had slightly lower, some had slightly higher. Um, I think looking externally, there was, Brystead was trying to track, hey, did, uh, did, uh, did budgets change uh, during the Q2 earnings release? And again, they didn't see much of a change. And so... Uh, really, firms are looking to stick with the budgets that they initially set out um, and uh, look to really meet that towards year end. But neither of this was actually mentioned in a comment uh, in the survey. Um, this is more of just what I have personally been hearing uh, through investor calls or sure. talking with contacts. Yeah, but there's enough there's enough uh, information and data to speak articulately and, and that sort of thing, without a doubt, um, uh, which you have, and, and I appreciate this very much. So where can people get this? And uh, the, the study, once again, is this an annual thing, or is this something special you guys did this year? Talk to me a little bit as we kind of summarize out uh, here with the interview. Perfect. Uh, so uh, if, if uh, the, the survey is available on our Dallas Fed website. Um, it's Dallas, D-A-L-L-A-S-F-E-D.org. Um, the, the survey is published every quarter at the end of uh, each quarter, so it's four times a year. Um, I think it's a, a unique way of seeing uh, uh, and looking at how uh, firms or oil and gas firms are faring currently. Um, and I think it's just one of the it's very, there's, there, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of operators and support services firms uh, in the state of Texas. Um, this at least provides um, a unique way to see how how their business conditions are. Um, it's available on our website four times a year, uh, widely read. I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, and uh, on there, you'll see my email address. If you have a question, definitely shoot me a note. 